0: This is a podcast for the Awakened Woman, for all the fem identifying folk devoted to their growth, their magic, and their magnificence. I'm your host, Angel, and I am devoted to bringing you the conversations that speak to and awaken the wild, wise, woke one within you, to awaken the fun, free force of nature that you were born to be. Let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened humans? On today's episode, we have a dear sister of mine, Jessica Winterston. She received her Bachelor of Science in Applied Psychology from NYU, her Masters in Education in Human Development and Psychology from Harvard, and an MA in Applied and Spiritual Psychology with an emphasis on consciousness, health, and healing from the University of Santa Monica. Through her work with world-renowned authors, philosophers, and teachers like David Data, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola-Estes, David White, and Drs. Ron and Mary Holnick, she's become an expert in relational dynamics, sacred intimacy, love, and loss. And through her guidance, she helps women reconnect their fundamental wholeness, power, and strength. This woman has been an absolute pillar in my life. I know I often joke that when I look deep into her eyes, I tend to well up in tears. (laughs) I'm not the only person in our friendship group to say this. She just has this incredible capacity of the heart to really embody love and to just call that forward and out from people. So I'm so excited to have her here today. Thanks for being here, Mama. Mm, Thank you for having me. Yeah, so You're an extremely well-educated woman with many incredible teachers. But what would you say have been your greatest teachers in life that were not, let's say, the school or teachers themselves, but those great life lessons from the school of life?
1: Well, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, my navigation of losing my mother to early-onset Alzheimer's. She passed away in April of 2020, and that was uh, a ten-year journey of navigating, uh, caretaking for her, and losing her to such a, a challenging disease. And so that that definitely shaped me. Prior to her diagnosis, I had already begun my spiritual journey after you know my years of education and really delving into the field of human development and psychology and working with young people i realized that while i was teaching these different really important lessons around you know emotional intelligent intelligence and learning how to meet yourself i wasn't actually living it or embodying it and so I ventured to India. I had my own eat, pray, love moment. I left my life. I left <laughs> my relationship that I was in. I left all those sort of external factors that I had been extremely dependent on as sources of my worth. And I attempted to, to find myself through that, that spiritual journey. And so I would say that was sort of the, the beginning of. Uh, moving outside of the roles I had been playing and moving beyond just the theory that I had invested so much energy and time into understanding and really working with this human condition called life. And then my hmm. mother's diagnosis was another turning point in my life that that really brought forth this uh, opportunity for me to to, to learn how to be with matters of the heart in a really robust uh, and vulnerable way. And so, yeah, I would say that those two experiences, you know, sort of changed the trajectory of my life and led me to Los Angeles, led me into the spiritual psychology program that I was in for three years and and gave me a different foundational understanding of what it means to be using this human experience to grow and evolve.
0: Yeah. What would you say, like, what do you wish that everyone knew or at least more people
1: knew about grief? <sighs> I'm learning that grief is, is a nonlinear process. You know, I know that there is an attempt to there's always an attempt to put language on things and and formulas around things and frameworks around things and with grief while you know there has been stages that have been identified and you know ways to grapple with it to me it's it's just this mysterious process that comes knocking on your door in unexpected moments and i think one of the most valuable invitations that have come into my life around grief and that I would offer to those who are listening is to just be in the space of letting go of control around what it's supposed to look like letting go of resistance to the process letting go of judgments around you know feeling like you've done it and you're doing it all over again and again and again and just simply being in a an open conversation with it so for me, it's really just been around how can I soften my body when this is present? How can I allow it to have its way with me? How can I make art out of it rather than resist it or make it wrong or make it seem like there's something wrong with me in my own coming undone when it is present? So yeah, just to be in that exploration of this mysterious dance with grief.
0: Oh, so beautiful, my love. And yeah, I was thinking, you know, even for myself at times in my life, it's felt so, I loved the way you say it, to answer the knock, and it's felt so scary for me at certain times to answer that knock when it comes knocking and so such beautiful tools that you say, if if you are or if anyone listening has also experienced that. For me, it was like a fear of intensity of, wow, this is so big and so intense. Can I hold it? Can I handle it? And such a beautiful a set of tools there just to soften in the body to make art. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. What's your favorite sort of artistic modalities when you are dancing with grief? Mm.
1: Well, for me, it's like um, kind of a constant discovery of different ways to allow it to move through. And what, where I feel its intensity, I, I have to remind myself of just like how incredibly resilient our hearts are. And so with that awareness and that knowing there's often prior to making art to kind of welcome in the intensity there's an acknowledgement of that like i i'll place my hand on my heart often just as a sort of reference point to bring me back to that space of of recognizing the resiliency that is present in all of us and so it's almost like i'm preparing myself to dance and saying okay we can do this we've got this and then I mean, it moves through me in all sorts of ways. And so there are moments where I'll literally dance and I'll move my body or my body will be moved by it. And I'll allow the energy just to to flow through my limbs. And sometimes I'll sound it and I'll sing it and I'll cry it and I'll speak in tongue and, and it will come out in gibberish. And I'll, you know, I'll I'll rage it. There are moments where I make love, literally make love to it with my husband, and I allow it to be present in our our sacred intimacy and I allow it to to be brought forward into that space. There's something for me around seeing these denser, scarier, more charged feelings and emotions as sacred and holy. And so with that awareness and with that framework, so to speak holding whatever emotion is present i feel there's just a range of different ways to express and it's all holy and it's all sacred so it it ranges <laughs> and sometimes you know sometimes it just looks like me falling apart and the difference in feeling like I'm dancing with it versus it's consuming me is that I have the awareness that I'm not identified with it. It, it, it is not me. It's just working its way through me in that particular moment.
0: Oof, that's such a beautiful distinction. And yeah, I think it's such an important distinction of how do we presence our emotions enough so that we can digest them And not indulge them, which is this really nuanced thing that you just so beautifully described there. What do you wish that more people knew about supporting people in grief? Or is there any kind of recommendations you would have if people are listening? I I imagine at least some people listening right now uh, have a loved one, someone they love who is experiencing loss and grief. I mean, shit. 2020 was an intense year for everyone involved. So what would be your recommendations? How do we support someone who's grieving?
1: Well, I think that the first thing is really the invitation uh, into one's own relationship to grief in themselves, because there's always that desire to show up for the people we love. And I think that if there is an unwillingness within our own self to feel the the density of that experience it's going to be really challenging to be with someone who's going through it so i think the initial step is to just be willing to invite it in a little bit into one's own space and to feel that and to allow the body to soften the heart to soften the breath to move in feeling one's own grief and then when it comes to being able to support others The most valuable invitation that I would offer is not trying to fix it or change it or make it better, but simply being with the person who is experiencing the grief. There's something so beautiful about sitting in that space in the silence, allowing for the tears to be present, allowing for the rage to be present, allowing for the messiness to be present and not trying to do anything other than just love that person through it. And I think so often in our culture, we're constantly trying to find ways to make things better, change an experience, make things feel lighter, make things feel, you know, more appeasing to the nervous system. And I, I think that actually is does such a disservice to the process of healing. Again, it really requires courage on that person's part to be able to say, okay. I'm going to go in and I'm going to sit with my loved one in this space and I'm just going to love them as they are in their coming and done. And that actually frees both that person and the one who is experiencing the grief. That just
0: resonated so deeply with me and uh, I definitely made exactly what you're sharing real in my body about four years ago now, I was back home in Australia and I had rented a place on the beach by myself and started to realise what you're sharing and, you know, being at home in my family space had always been very challenging and I started to have this deep realisation that the challenge was coming because I had not fully dealt with my own grief and my own childhood trauma and therefore I wasn't able to show up for my family. I couldn't, I couldn't really touch it and it was interesting because, of course, this is what I do for a living. There's no coincidences there either but, you know, having that realisation experiencing deep levels of trauma and grief surging on such an intense level and on the other end of my own grief and allowing myself maybe for the first time ever in that that level of intensity and I I think there was a reason for that I think I was ready for it I had the tools for it I was able to support myself through going back into the depths of that darkness and trauma and on the other side of that, my ability to show up for my family, to see them through what was a really challenging time for them and just and to do what you say and, and for the first time because previously it was always I want to fix it and I didn't realise until that point that I'm trying to fix your pain so that I can be okay. It's mm. not about you. It was a selfish thing because I couldn't touch my own pain and it was reactivating my pain. And so once I had dealt with that and grieved I could do what you were saying for the first time. And it opened mm. up so much space in my body to be able to do what you're saying and just say, I just love you where you're at. And this, you know, you may never change and you may continue choosing choices that I don't agree with. And I'm just going to love you and, you know, boundaries and all of those things too. But like, yeah, so, 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 so powerful. So thank you so much for sharing that, that like rocked me.
1: <laughs> well, and I loved what you just shared because it's, it's true. it, it Again, another invitation for those who are listening, it's you can't be somewhere where you're not, right? And so to be so patient and gentle with that process, to not make the self wrong for not being ready yet to sit with that, because it is a process and it is a learning and it is something that we, we step into as we, we take those half steps towards that experience of feeling. And so just patience and compassion, Um, and, and recognizing that we do all have the capacity to do it. We have the strength, we have the resiliency. It's a, you know, there's a, a stripping that has to happen around these belief systems that we're not capable, but once that happens, then we can do it. And so it's, it's just patience, I think is a big piece of it as well.
0: You go there and you don't die and then you think, oh, okay, nervous system, primal brain that told me absolutely do not go there, do not feel that, that's not safe. And then you kind of get that lived experience and I think Brene Brown says we're hardwired for struggle. You know, we are, as you said, so beautifully. Our hearts are resilient in nature and Mm. life teaches us that over time and I think life brings us to our knees. (laughs) And as you say, our willingness to be with it, embrace it, be patient with it, just roll with it. And the really important distinction that you highlighted between rolling with it, being present with it, but not being overrun by it. I think that's exactly. a big yeah. distinction. And how, again, just to touch on that a little further, that's a, big, that's a big one, right? Like how do we dance with big emotions, grief, any other big emotion,
1: digesting it, dancing with it, but not being hijacked by it? Mm. I mean, that is, that is a great question. And I think it's, you know, it comes back to, I forget who said this, I'm going to mess this up, but it's, uh, there's that, that space between the stimulus and the response that is so important when we get triggered by something and then when we respond and again, we're kind of conditioned to act out in our fight or flight instincts when our nervous systems go into overdrive. And so for me, being able to discern between the identification with something and just the simple invitation and allowing something to move through me, it really happens in that in-between space, between stimulus and reaction. And so where I go first and foremost is recognizing what my body is doing because my Mm -hmm. body is the first thing that's going to react to something. I'll stop breathing. I'll... Clench my jaw, I'll clench my fists, I'll feel like tense uh, energy in my stomach, um, I'll feel heat in the body. And so I'll bring my awareness to my form, my body, and I'll bring a little bit of undulation into my spine. I almost like imagine myself like an octopus. <laughs> That's and <fun>. so, <laughs> yeah. and I'll just kind of move and I'll bring breath, which gives me time and space to create that gap. And Mm. then with that gap, I'm able to bring in the awareness around, okay, something's happening right now. There's a feeling that's wanting to be felt. I am not my feelings. However, I am here to feel my feelings. That is part of what I'm here for, at least. I'm not here to transcend. I'm here to be in this human experience and to feel love and loss. And so with the gap and that space and creating the movement in the body and the breath, having it come back, I'm able to say, I'm going to go into this consciously. And it's almost like sometimes I even imagine (laughs) like there's um, like, I'm going into the underbelly of the, the feeling, but I've got this magical golden rope that I can pull on that like can take me out at any point. So Mm -hmm. there's a knowing that This doesn't define me. I I have learned to receive that knowing. And I think for people who are sort of beginning this journey of dancing with grief without over identifying with it, it's important to sort of um, like work those principles into your space of recognizing, okay, I'm going to feel this, but I'm not actually my feelings this is going to pass. This experience, this moment in time is not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to soften and I'm going to let it move through me rather than get stuck inside of me. So there's certain little principles, if you will, or statements that I that I that I know to be true that I'll work in that gap. And so then I'll go in. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt like hell, doesn't mean that it doesn't feel like a full mess in moments or that I don't fully become you know, undone in that moment, but there's also a voice that's present that's saying, ah, you're dancing with this right now. And it's going to, it's going to move. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. What I'm hearing you say that's such a, such an important part of this work is staying in the body and digesting it through the sensation as opposed to getting stuck in the story. Yes. So, yeah. And I think that's how we get stuck sometimes in any negative or even positive which can be a good tool <laughs> right repeat the story repeat the mantra if you want to hang yourself on that mental framework but if we're constantly stuck in the mental uh the story the thoughts rather than as you're describing dropping into the body and the sensations then we can get stuck there but that's so beautiful and i was smiling hugely because the quote you shared is uh Victor e frankel and it's one of yes. my favorite quotes it's from a man's search for meaning any of you guys listening if you haven't read it it's an absolutely essential read it's by a psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz uh, and he studied the resilience of the human spirit and he said that between stimulus and response there is a space and within that space lies our ability to choose and within that choice Mm. lies our freedom Mm. and (laughs) stretching out that space fam how do we stretch out that space
1: yeah, yes. and I think it's it's like a touchstone place. Like I think once we touch it, we can come back to it. I'm so all about these like reference points that I like to accumulate, like my toolbox of moments where I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I'm actually free in this," or "Oh, wow, I actually have strength in this," or "I can do this." And and those become the touchstone pieces for me to come back to. So for me that space, that gap, it's like I know it. Therefore, even when the feeling is so overwhelming, I know that space and yeah. that supports me in moving beyond.
0: Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing you say, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I've experienced. And it sounds like you're sharing that as well Is sometimes we will get overwhelmed or lost or stuck in the story or be in indulgence or whatever. And that is also part of the healthy process. It's more about that oscillating back, oscillating back.
1: Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I always I always remind myself of this and share that it's like, no matter how many moments I move through, I I like to believe in sort of the beginner mindset of just recognizing that I'm in this, this life to continue to grow and learn. And so it there are there are moments where I'm on my knees and I'm like, wow, I feel like I've done this so many times. How am I here again? And It's really in the way that I relate to those moments and just I trust in my capacity. And I also know that there are going to be moments where I feel like I'm taken out, but I'll move beyond it because I have before. So there's a lot of permission in that, I think. And it's not about mastering any of this. For me, at least, it's just around being in the discovery and the exploration and remembering how resilient we are, but still being willing to meet the moment. Yeah, that sounds like dancing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. not mastering, we're dancing. We're
1: dancing. Um,
0: so slight slight pivot, not too much of a pivot, but you're an expert in this specific topic that I want to touch on now. I find a lot of other people on the internets tend to regurgitate a lot of information around this <laughs> without being fully educated or embodied in it. So I want your perspective because I see you as someone who's truly both educated and then has the practical embodied wisdom as you're kind of sharing, you know, your process of education and then the life school as well. Simple question. What are masculine and feminine dynamics and why have they been important to you?
1: So, you know, I think it's important. I'm going to, I'll share from my perspective and I, and I appreciate, again, I think like, there's so many things that we, we want to put words on because we need, We need to understand and we need to be able to digest different concepts. And I think with this, it's there's many moments where I feel like it's really beyond words. And yet working with for me personally, the feminine masculine domain is supportive in some ways to create some context around some of these different energetics. That being said, it's not, you know, the feminine doesn't relate to women and the masculine doesn't relate to men. And so I just want to share that uh, to start. And then as it pertains to my own experience, you know, for me growing up, I've always been someone who's been very deeply connected to relational dynamics, very much of the heart, very sensitive, very empathic as a, as a young girl. And somewhere along the way, as this happens to many of us, I, you know, I became a little bit jaded. I went through traumas. I was conditioned to believe certain things about my sensitivity, about my empathy, about my sort of heart directionality, if you will, or just the way that I lived from the heart. And so I was somewhat cloaked and, you know, sort of adopted shells and shields. And so my life became about accomplishments. It, came, it became about receiving validation outside of myself. It became about learning, and um, but in a way that provided me with some sort of reference point to my wholeness. And so I would say that I adopted more of a masculine way of being, which to me was like being extremely directional and focused and able to compartmentalize. And so that journey was also around a belief system that the feminine felt like weakness. Again, something Mm -hmm. that I had adopted. There's so much to say about this. There's so many nuances, but essentially when I went through my own sort of evolution and spiritual journey, there was a recognition that I was really actually holding my feminine energy, which was my sensitivity, my 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 ability to feel, my intuition, my my artistry at bay because it didn't fit inside the box of what I thought was successful. I had a lot of repair and um, healing to do around that, and so my journey began. Uh, when I came back to Los Angeles to care for my mother and I was sort of pushed, thrusted into the space of really confronting the grief of losing her feeling, you know, the matriarch, her fall and being, you know, presenced with this question around what does it mean to be a woman? And so my experience of the feminine is, is that she, I'm just using she for the purpose of this conversation, but, she is the the essence of love she is she is life she is uh, the the depth of of feeling of energy of movement of you know just everything that is dark and light and ugly and beauty and and it was like I got this introduction or a reintroduction into that space as I was forced in a sense to feel everything. Mm. And so now the way that I work with feminine and masculine principles in my marriage is I've attracted in a man who is, again, I believe that we we attract in our reciprocal. So to the extent that we hold one of these energetics more so than the other, we're going to call in the reciprocal of that. So if someone is 50 50, they're going to call in someone who's 50 50. We have both domains within us. I'm very, I have very strong capacity for incredible masculine energy. And I'm so grateful for that. And my essence is extremely feminine in the ways that I am so drawn to the feeling realm, to the relational realm. My husband is very masculine. So the way that we work with that in terms of our relationship dynamics is in the space of sacred intimacy, in the polarity, in his ability to sort of be the riverbanks. Again, this is like, I'm repeating myself from what we hear a lot of, but he's sort of the organizing principle around all the energy that I get to play in. And the only way I was able to call in a man like that was to actually be that for myself. So it's essential that we are able to evolve in into the wholeness of who we are in life and mm-hmm. to be able to have a healthy relationship where you can play and I have to access my masculine energy on um, every day to, to be able to function in life. But when we're in our intimate processes and we're in our, you know, uh, the the place in our relationship where we get to make art out of the moment, I am holding the essence of love and movement and energy and he's holding more of the witness consciousness, the ability to hold and be the space around all of it. Do you guys ever swap? We do. We do swap. <laughs> and and that's a very exciting expression. Um again, I, I would say like it's really important for for people to identify within themselves genuinely where they land in terms of their authentic expression because I know a lot of I know a lot of women who are really authentically in their strength in that masculine domain and they have incredibly rich partnerships where their their man and or woman is in the masculine or in the feminine. And so with with John there are moments where when he, when we swap again, we're still polarized, and so when he's in more of his feeling energy and more of the the space of, of of aliveness and movement, and I'm holding him, it's incredibly alluring, erotic, empowering. If we stayed there all the time, I don't know if that would be the relationship that I would personally want. But I think that when we are able to play in both spaces and both be polarized. There's beauty there. So it's not Mm. one has to be. There are moments where we're both depolarized, and that's essential as well, where we're both working on something and we're very focused and very, you know, in our discipline and we're both in our masculine, and, and that's beautiful. Do we want to be intimate in that moment? No. Or we're, you know, in our feeling and we're talking and we're engaging and we're talking about all the things and we're in our feminine. Do we want to be intimate? No. It's like being with a best friend, which is beautiful. So I think it's like, it's really about recognizing how the energies work and how important it is in terms of creating that spark to have polar- polarity and that you're not pigeon-held into one, but mm. to create that dynamic where there's a push-pull.
0: Yeah, so beautifully described. And I think that um, that's really the key to it from my perspective is that it's an energetic quality and just learning how do these energies interact whether you say masculine feminine whether you say yin and yang and also how do these uh energies interact within the container of certain relationships the dynamics I believe do shift so just being so so present to the energy to the subtlety of the moment that goes beneath or deeper than just this superficial reality like what are we feeling what's happening underneath my only concern with this you've heard me say this a million times my listeners have as well very into this topic is how identified people are with the idea of feminine being a woman and what I hear some see what I'm not hearing you say but what I do feel and perceive in other teachings around this is this idea of a real woman or a better woman is you know very feminine and a real Mm. man or a better man is Mm. very masculine and then that just feels so dangerous actually to me
1: yeah no i completely agree and i think it's it, there is it's been an interesting journey of of feeling sort of the pendulum swing that's been such an ins- essential part of our evolution and you know coming from more let's just call it like more of the submissive feminine you know, put in a box and restrained in terms of our voices, our expression, our ability, you know, to be something in this world. There's been that incredible shift in energy where women are on the rise and they're, you know, leading companies and they're, they're rising up and they're expressing their, 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 you know, their beauty, their boldness, their brilliance. And it's, it's, There's been such a beautiful transference of energy in that way. And the same with men in terms of them learning how to soften and how to be more in their feeling and how to undo some of this toxic masculinity that's been so ingrained into our culture. Mm -hmm. And what I've come to realize within myself, because I went through my journey in that where I... Did come from much more of a sort of constrained mentality around my feminine expression and went through a period of really claiming my freedom and my fullness, which was so important. It's like there's been another shift in my own experience with all of that, which is now to be attuned to the moment. And so, what that looks like just get again coming back to what you're saying about like you know women are supposed to be soft or this or that and and that's what a real woman looks like. I think when we put any sort of like constructs around what it means to be whole full there's something's missing there's there's assumptions being made, and it's that it's all being lost in that. What I'm most curious about as I work in the space of subtleties and I'm, I'm very, again, moving beyond content, moving beyond language, moving beyond like the surface level stuff, it's like feeling into what the moment's calling for. And sometimes that may look like silence, but it's a very different kind of silence. It's not a silence that's coming from a place of wounding or fear or who am I to speak up It's a silence of recognizing my strength, knowing who I am, knowing the depth of my light, but knowing that in this moment, the silence is actually what is my love being expressed. And Mm -hmm. so that's very nuanced. And I think that in the sort of swing of the pendulum, there has been a little bit of a claiming to the strength, which I think is essential part of the process and what I find with a lot of the women that I work with is we're not going back to the way it was, but we're keeping that strength while also supporting women into reframing their relationship around their softness, around their attunement, around their, their ability to feel into the moment and respond from that place versus the place of I am woman, hear me roar, roar irrespective of what's going on around me. Mm. So it's it's been an interesting journey to feel the threading that has sort of disentangled itself in the process, but now is being sort of rewoven from a different vantage point. I don't know if I'm making sense in terms of what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> no, you're making perfect sense. Like What I'm hearing you say is, and this is why I wanted to ask you about it, because as I said, you are an expert and you're embodied in this. And what I feel Uh, is a real lack of ego around this and Mm. a lack of attachment, which I think are the two people. I mean, we all have ego, right? But when there's too much of it or too much attachment around a topic, it can really distort the lens of the beautiful teachings. And what I'm hearing you say is there are these innate energies within us. And because of actually, and you didn't say this, but I'm assuming this is from my perspective, because of the gender bias world we've, we've lived in and are waking up out of, Certain qualities that have been in the storehouse of feminine have been deemed as less than, weakness, etc. And so, this is actually a reclaiming of those energies in both men and women and bringing them into the light of their highest expression so that men and women can utilize these energies freely. And as you were saying, weave those threads of the both both the qualities that have been very revered and put in the storehouse under masculine and both the qualities that have been, let's say, not as revered in, in both camps. I think there are qualities in the masculine that have been pushed down or considered less than or qualities in the storehouse of the feminine, the things, the box that we say, these things are feminine and these things are masculine and just learning how to take all the toys out of the box and say, all of this is okay. How can we tune all of this into the highest frequency? And I'm hearing you talk a lot about attunement which exactly. is how can I meet the moment? What Which tool here is not just what I've been conditioned to think is culturally okay or socially appropriate,
1: but which tool is actually in service to the highest of this moment. Right. And it's it's which tool is not only culturally appropriate and also which tool is not only just for the sake of expression. So that's the other piece of it. It's the other side of the coin. So is moving away from what's culturally appropriate to you know i'm free to do what i want it's it's a big swing it's an essential step and there's a middle point around it's not that you're doing what's a coach culturally appropriate and it's not what you're doing what you want just for the sake of your expression it's really feeling into what's actually going to open this moment up for mm-hmm. the sake of love
0: yes and that's so seen as well in sexuality one of our friends and a teacher of mine, Layla Martin, who we just had on the podcast last week, talks about the seven stages of sexuality. And the first stage is programming patriarchy, but the next stage is rebellion. And what mm-hmm. I'm hearing you say is you're talking about that swing, which is I'm going to be under the thumb of the my conditioning. And then we wake up to that and say, actually, fuck that. I can say what I want and do what I want. And it's like this rebellious pushing outward, which, as you say, is an important part of rec- reclaiming our power and sovereignty. And then we can move into that. Okay. I'm not collapsing or pushing out. I'm staying in the center of myself and I'm attuning to yeah, what is really going to open love or truth or whatever it is that feels most important in this moment.
1: Exactly. And I think in the, in the space of sexuality in regards to that sort of swing, it's like, then again, as you made that beautiful point of like taking all the tools out of the box or the, and playing with everything, it's like, from that place of being able to, you know, take these steps and move throughout that spectrum, then it again, it comes back to this idea that everything is sacred and holy. So there is no thing that is too off limits or too taboo or with that awareness and context of what's, what's for the moment. You give permission to play in all the textures, which is so incredibly enlivening and freeing and beautiful because there's nothing that's too off if you're in a space where you're meeting it fully and you're also being met by someone who's playing with you in that space fully, right? Yeah. With, yeah, with
0: presence and intention, anything exactly. can become a spiritual practice. Anything, honey. Anything. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about sacred intimacy? We kind of started to slide into that. What does it mean to you?
1: My, my stepdaughter is maybe listen to, listening to this. <laughs> my my 20-year-old stepdaughter is like, oh, I'm so excited to listen to this. I'm like, well, let me first listen to it and then we'll see if you can listen to it. <laughs> no. Give us the juice, honey. So, gonna, so to me, again, it's like, again, I think we started off with talking about grief, which I think is a beautiful segue into this conversation because what I've what I've been met with is a man who, oh my God, God bless John. <laughs> God <laughs> bless, bless that, that man. Way. There is no shade too dark for this love. And so to me, sacred intimacy is, again, the polarity piece around recognizing how important it is for us to be polarized and the energetic so that we create that spark and there is that push-pull Whatever pull we're playing doesn't matter, but then it's really about making art out of the moment. And so, to me, it looks like bringing in whatever is present. You know, again, there's like not that it's always. Sometimes it's just like fun to have a moment of fun and connection, and it's it's not necessarily like a full ceremony or there are moments where we're just in life like we were saying there are moments where we kind of like fall into the despair of the moment and we're in it and then we're like okay we can get out of it so i'm i'm not suggesting that it's that one needs to constantly be in the space of sacred intimacy but that said that is why we're in this relationship it's a sacred partnership and we recognize that we've chosen each other to grow through our karma to grow through our wounding to to meet in the space of consciousness and love and so in the space in the realm of intimacy it's like how do we take a moment of density or a moment of shadow or a moment of rage or a moment of bliss or a moment of play or a moment of anger whatever it is and bring art and love and light to that through our two-bodied practice so it it becomes almost like like a healing bomb if you will but not even healing it's not the the intention is not necessarily like to heal and and rid oneself of those experiences it's like it's just giving ourselves permission to fuck ourselves open to it essentially <laughs> so yes, to honey. me it's like that it's 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 another huge tool or reference point or space in my life where I'm able to welcome in all the shades, all the textures, all the different nuances of this human condition and be loved open through it, fucked Mm -hmm. open through it. Mm -hmm. That to me is what sacred intimacy is about. It's, it's, obviously there's like open conscious communication there's an awareness around you know responsibility and owning our projections and and being able to recognize that we're these souls using this human experience and we're going to trigger the fuck out of each other and when it comes to love making it's like how do we take this strange or dark or taboo or hard or you know grief stricken texture and love it open
0: through our bodies. Mm, so powerful. Hearing you talk about conscious communication and taking responsibility for your projections, for those listening who don't know what a projection is or aren't fully clear, how would you describe that?
1: So to me, <clears throat> what I feel is that when something happens and I experience trigger. So again, coming back to the Viktor Frankl quote of, you know, the creating that space between the the stimulus and the reaction, that stimulus, that trigger moment, when I feel myself go into a space of shutting down my body because something was said or spoken, or I experience, um, an interaction that causes me to restrict my breath or I feel angry. I know that I'm triggered. And so when I'm triggered and I, want something else out of that experience, there is often a projection being put into the space. So if I expect something different, if I, if I want the other to apologize to me, if I, I mean, those are all, of course, normal reactions part of, again, this human experience. But I can't actually begin to assume what's going on inside the other person, even though I may be like, oh, like they were being such a yeah, I, can I swear on this? I mean, I already have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were being such an ass, you know, like that person was, <laughs> but I'm triggered. I'm already, I'm in the projection. I'm in the the uh, contortion of that experience. So what I'll do is I'll own it. And I'll say, you know, with John, for example, if there's a moment where something happens and I'm like, ouch, that that hurt. And then I'm acting from that place. I'll be like, I'm aware of the fact that I am triggered right now, That I'm most likely projecting onto you because I'm feeling a lot in my body and I'm going to do my, I'm going to work my process to come back to my heart. Doesn't mean that the pain doesn't go away. Doesn't mean, or the pain goes away. Doesn't mean that I'm not going to feel sadness. But if, if my body is collapsing and I'm responding from that place, I'm projecting. I'm in the trigger. I'm in the moment. So you can feel. Pain and stay soft and open in your heart and communicate consciously from that place, which looks like taking responsibility and saying, Wow, I'm feeling a lot right now. And I'm making up a story. I'm in, we, we call it story time. John and I will be like, I'm in story time. <laughs> <laughs> just to kind of, again, disclaimer like, I'm in it right now. So I don't know how I'm going to respond. I may project onto you. And that just kind of softens the energy around it, which allows for us to come back to that place of connection.
0: Yes, yes, yes. What I'm hearing you say and, and what I would hold as well as the idea of projection is, as you're saying, we feel that trigger and then rather than re- taking responsibility for it and owning our story, owning our emotions, owning our experience, we discharge that onto the other person which can often look like either agitated behavior or loud voices, or it might just be a story that we're making up that we're projecting as truth, assumptions that we're projecting as truth, which we know is definitely the core of most conflict. (laughs) So speaking of conflict,
1: how, how do you guys resolve conflict? Do you have a process that you work? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, what you just said brings up this point that I think is important. And it speaks to that question, which is like, <clears throat> when there is something present inside of me, it's not about, so I'm always going to work my process when I'm upset. If I'm upset because I'm upset because, therefore, it's my work to do. But that doesn't mean that I'm doing that on my own. That doesn't mean that, like, the invitation to those listeners is like, oh, you got to go off into a corner and process that, sh- you know, that shit and, 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 keep it inside of yourself and not bring it forward. It's just the energy that come from that is the most important place. So my process is when I feel something present in our space and there's a moment of disconnect, it's to notice, first of all, the wounds that get activated in that based on my childhood trauma and my past that have nothing to do with John. He's just showing up as the character to activate that. But it seems like it's the exact same thing. So I'll feel that in my body and I'll, I'll inside of myself reference the fact that I'm probably in a narrative right now. And if I am collapsed and closed, I, will, I have ways of working my way back to my own heart because I'm not going to be able to connect to his heart if my heart is closed. So what that looks like in terms of communication with John, I I think about it as an invitation to come towards me with the pain present versus an accusation. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in the projection of the pain and I've done this, I will do this. I'm human. I will make him wrong in that. I will accuse him. There's an energy that's being thrusted towards him. It's like, you did this there's no space for connection in that. Mm. So if that happens, then the seesaw has broken. Like we're both kind of at the bottom, right? There's no, there's no <laughs> one holding the the, the the top of it, which then requires some space, and then we come back together and we are able to recognize while we were in it. But when one of us is able to stay sort of on that upper slant of the seesaw. Yes, that. I say one of us has to stay in our mature
0: adult at all times. Yes,
1: <laughs> if because we're both if we're a both- wounded
0: child, we're fucked.
1: <laughs> we're fucked. And 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 the good news is is that in sacred partnership, we 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 John and I have a saying that we say the walls will shake, the windows will break, but our foundation is solid. Meaning, mm. a sacred partnership it ain't, it ain't always easy. There are going to be many moments where the walls <laughs> come crumbling down, but our foundation is solid. And so when we're both. At the bottom of the seesaw when it's broken, when we're in the vortex, we know we'll get back to one another and it's going to take a moment for us to remember who we are, to remember the thread of love. However, coming back to the question, if one of us is able to stay in that sort of space of, of, of heart open witnessing consciousness, then it's their role in a sense to just hold that thread of loving and Communicate as an invitation. So, responsibility is a huge piece. Me being able to communicate, you know, that this is present. I take responsibility if I'm in the space of needing to communicate, or it's simply about making art out of that moment. So, there are many moments where it's like, I'm aware that. There's a a story time about to start and I'm going to transcend this all together and I'm going to place my hand on his heart and I'm going to see the truth of who he is, not the wounded little boy. I'm going to love the wounded little boy, but I'm also going to see what's happening and being able to recognize it and just in connecting to that deeper part and showing him my devotion, even in that moment of wreckage it calls him forward. So it's not abdicating and it's not defending, it's transcending the narrative altogether. That is the art making. Yes.
0: If you can't
1: get there, then you've got to be in the communication, which is a beautiful step to be in if you can do that artfully. But where I love to live, if, if my intention is to live there all the time, is to just be in that sort of art making space of transcending the story mm-hmm. fully. Yeah,
0: we had one of those this morning. And I think that by the grace of God, as you said earlier, I also am not always able to hold hold that. <laughs> There's a part of me that loves to be right, honey. Judge Judy, uh-huh. we call her Judge Judy. <laughs> oh, shit, honey. But this morning I was able to kind of hold that. And I think the biggest part for me is just not taking the other person's wound personally. And the longer you're in, say, yeah. a conscious partnership, the better you get to know each other's demons and wounds and shadows and you get to see, oh, here's that one again. Yeah, And like you say, just love it and be open and not because that's the sticking point, I think, that creates the conflict is when we feel as though their pain, their wound, their pattern, and sometimes our partners or we are projecting that onto each other is not receiving the gift, essentially, like that projection can fly at you. And as you're saying, and I know you and I have talked about just becoming see-through and we don't always get there, but gosh, it's amazing to feel that when you can just go, wow. This is my partner's pattern. And like you said, I can just love the wound right now. I can just love you and see that you are also more than the wound, that this will pass. And like when we get to that place, we can really fucking love our partner and just support them in what's underneath what might be defensiveness or anger, which we know is like always pain that feels too scary to feel. And when we give that partner permission and just say, I'm here loving you, and none of these projections are going to stick to me because i see i see clearly and like yeah definitely doesn't happen every time but wow what an experience
1: it's so true and it's and it's important to note that like that it will sometimes almost look like abdication and mm-hmm. again that's why these things are so nuanced and it's important to recognize that it's really not about what it looks like but more the come from because sometimes when i'm in that space of Recognizing that there is that sort of energetic that's coming forward that does dovetail with my wounding and is trying to hook me and will <laughs> often hook me. Um <laughs> that's, the, but if, that's the fun of life, the humanness. <laughs> but it's like the there the the part of me that abdicated my entire life that was just like a doormat, it it can look like that. It can look like, oh, I'm just I'm freezing right now and Whatever you say, you're right. And I'm a doormat. But it's not that. It's a completely different energetic. And it's just, again, being able to see beyond it, letting the body become translucent so that that thing passes through. And when those moments happen, it's incredible for the other to feel like we've had those moments where John is like, I don't even know what that energy was. (laughs) It's like, we're kind of possessed <laughs> <laughs> moments, so you know it's it's, it, it, it's a it's a journey. and I think again, when you're in that kind of partnership where there is that that common language and that common foundation, it's beautiful because there's also a permission to mess up in moments and we're not going to get it right all the time and we're going to close and you know, we're gonna be in our fear space and and we're both committed to this work. So that's mm-hmm. where it's juicy and it's exciting.
0: Yeah. And
1: it's similar to what we were
0: saying earlier about grief around how it's not that you aren't going to sometimes get snarled in the story, but it's just that devotion to oscillating back to our center. And then you get to do that work together. It's not that you're not going to lose your shit sometimes or be in the wounded child or project or not use conscious communication, shame, blame, all the no-nos, but just are you both devoted to finding your way back to center? Are you both devoted to using and applying the tools, to transcending the narrative, to essentially, as you say, like supporting, using your relationship as a vessel for hiring consciousness, healing the wounding, elevating together. um, Making art out of it. Yeah. Yeah. What a fucking blessing. Bless
1: our men. Bless oh my god. Bless our men. And <laughs> one thing to offer cuz I one of my teachers gave me this as a as an exercise which I think could be really interesting for those who are wanting to try this out and it's been amazing. But it's like in those moments where the heat is present and you're feeling the collapse and you're experiencing the collapse and it's like on the brink of turning into the seesaw breaking and both being into the vortex. You'll ha- I, John and I both have the awareness of, like, when we're in the vortex at this point, we're, we're aware of it. So not that we can always get out of it easily, but there's a knowing. Like we're not living from that place of unconscious energy anymore. It's not part of our conversation. And so when we feel that happening, one of my teachers said, "Do something that's very simple that can take you, like, whether it's touching your toes like just touch your toes like I'm something touching my toes right now that's weird <laughs> <laughs> something that's or turn around 3 times or you know shake your body like 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 to move the fear and then let the divine fill your body, like, you know, like almost like having like a Kriya exorcism moment. But do something that you could probably do in public because sometimes these disconnects happen in public. So it's not too weird. Um, It's like you start (laughs) screaming some sort of phrase. I don't know. Um, But do something that, again, like I said, what I do in these moments where I feel um, a trigger is I'll start to move my body or or if I feel, you know, the, the grief. I bring the undulation to my spine. Something that's different that can help you remember that you're not the conflict that's occurring.
0: Yeah, pattern so, interrupt. I love exactly that. Physical pattern interrupt. Physical. I'm, like you go the, like this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Just like, or like <laughs> blah, <laughs> blah, blah,
0: blah, blah. <laughs> Which would probably make you laugh. That's another thing that Patrick exactly. and I, if one of us is on, as you're describing, the top of the seesaw, if one of us is able to maintain holding love and you know it, stay an amateur adult we will often use that's a big thing in our relationship humor so we'll point yes. out we'll hold up a mirror to the other of how they're being and how they're behaving with love but make them laugh and laugh usually at themselves see themselves and that will it not doesn't always work it's got to be early enough in the, in, in the- and it's got to come like you're saying the come from has to be genuine intention it's not laughing at it's laughing with uh, yeah. but it's, it's what you're saying, that pattern interrupt.
1: And that's, you know, that's an also important thing to distinguish because for me, humor is huge. Like, John brings humor to the space. The truth is, is that if we're going to go with the sort of masculine, feminine, energetic, me being more in that space of, of relational connection, it doesn't take much for me to come back to my heart. Like, if he uses humor, I'm there. Whereas for John, who occupies the other space more often, it's a little bit harder to. Bring him back, and humor actually does not work. I tried, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's good to be in the conversation in moments where you're connected to understand like what is it that that person needs in order to feel safe, in order to drop the story and the narrative. And for John, it's really feeling my devotion even in the space of that energy that I'm like, I don't want to be anything. I don't want to be near this. It's mm. dev- being feeling him feeling my devotion irrespective of what's being presenced mm. is what helps him come back. So mm. I love that because humor to me is like everything, like bring on the humor for yes. him. Not mm, so much. I've tried. It, I think it's a, it, it also is very cultural, like Patrick's
0: British. I'm Australian. Yes. So for us, banter, witty totally. banter, it's like, all of our Aussies and English people listening know Irish, Scottish as well, it, just the UK. It's that witty banter is mm-hmm. such an embedded part of our culture, the back and forth, the little, it's almost like a little, it's not a sting, but it's a little like little love tap. Yeah. Yeah.
1: like. I love a little tap. Give me a tap. Give me a slap. Whatever you want. No, stop it and then rub it. It's (laughs) it's all about the intention, you know? (laughs) and then hold it.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's a perfect place to land this podcast. I can't believe it always goes so fast. I'm so blessed to get to speak to so many incredible women, yourself included. So if you feel ready, we're going to move into the rapid fire questions. Someone comes to you and they're feeling really down and you can only give them one piece of advice. What do you say? Open. Mm. What do you gift most frequently? My love. Mm. Yes, you do. What's the most important thing for successful relationships? Conscious communication. If you could be any animal, what would you be? A butterfly.
1: rapid fire questions i
0: don't know what's going through right now that reminded me of the simpsons when bart simpson goes i'm gonna reincarnate as the butterfly nobody ever suspects the butterfly (laughs) anyone else seen simpsons no anyway moving on if everyone in the world had to read one book of your choosing what would it be consolations by david white Mm. i have that on my shelf right here where is it liz mars who's been on the podcast gifted that to me beautiful uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? To
1: be able to, I think it would be to to be able to travel through space and time and go back in time to specific moments.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. No one's ever said that before. Yes, time travel. If you could only take one spiritual practice, one tool with you to a desert island, what would it
1: be? Making art, dancing with the feelings of it all, making art out of the density.
0: Mm. What's your favorite thing that you own? My
1: dog. (laughs) She's
0: such a cutie guy. Something you believe is true that other people might think is crazy.
1: I believe that you can make love to the most horrific, challenging, profane, darkest moments, memories, characters, textures, and be completely open and in your heart and in your loving in that moment. Mm.
0: Yes, yes. If you could eat one meal before you die, what would it be?
1: I don't know why bread and butter just came forward. That's <laughs> so <laughs> Juice to bread? <laughs> Juice to bread? Sourdough?
0: Hmm yes i love juice to bread that's one of the things i miss about la i'm coming for you mm-hmm. uh last one if there was a universal answering machine that you were going to leave a message on today but that everyone in the world would hear you're not alone mm, so beautiful my love thank you for sharing your wisdom your love your heart mm,
1: thank you thank you so much for having me and i just love you so much
0: i love you sweet thing That's it for today, beautiful beings. And don't forget enrollments for Awakened Pleasure are now officially open. So if you're feeling called to join this wild awakening program, Awakened Pleasure is a 12-week sacred sexuality program, so we're going to be utilizing ancient tantric science-backed practices to heal trauma, rewild your sensuality, activate deep body love and to unleash your most authentic, embodied power on the world. You're going to experience six of my signature hypnotic awakenings, deep state meditations to reprogram your subconscious. Plus, you'll also experience six of my signature wild awakenings, profoundly transformative at-home pleasure practices to activate your wildest spiritual orgasmic potential. Plus, you're going to get in-depth lectures on all three modules, 30-plus journal prompts, and an alumni of badass sexual revolutionary queens, all devoted to their sensual awakening and supporting you in yours we really have such a gorgeous cohort of beings and truly epic community in this awakened pleasure program so if you're feeling the call to deepen your understanding of your body to unlearn body shame rewild your sensuality and just get back in touch with your primal nature to Activate your orgasm and really learn how to use your pleasure as a tool for deep mystical states, spiritual beauty, and wild awakening, then, baby, I have got you covered. Come on over to www.awakenedwoman.com. That's A W A K E N E D W O M X N.com. Forward slash AP. And if you use the code podcast at the checkout, you're going to receive $100 off the program, which is a bit of a ridiculous discount. But that is how much I want this life changing program to be accessible to as many of you as possible. So www.awakenedwoman.com. That's woman spelt W-O-M-X-N. .com forward slash AP. And don't forget to use that discount code podcast for $100 off at the checkout. And I cannot wait to see those of you ready to party there.